so it's raining outside. Welcome back to the Missions Uncovered podcast with me, Nee, and your other hosts, Dominic and Michael. Today's podcast is sponsored by Skillshare. Learn what you want when you want it. Go to bit.ly slash aupod2018 and get two free months of Skillshare Premium. You'll get access to all Skillshare classes and offline viewing so that when you're on the bus, you can still be learning. Today, we're going to be talking about how American students can apply to international schools. We're going to go over the application processes for UK schools, Canadian schools, as well as the joint degree programs that are available from United States universities and universities from other countries. And then we'll reflect and talk in general about whether going abroad for your college education is actually worth it. So starting off, uh, just a couple of general tips. If you're planning on either visiting these schools or especially going there, um, you're going to have to check up on your visa status to that school's country. So student visas are the way to go for studying there. And then you'll probably need to get the appropriate visa or paperwork to go visit the school as well. So make sure you're doing that studying because the last thing you want to do is be arrested in a foreign country. Oh, gosh. Um, that's not going to be fun. That'd be bad. That'd be fun. <laughs> and then the different countries will have different ways uh, that you will file for your visa. For example, in the UK, once you get in, then you will file for your visa. And then let's say Can- Canadian schools or French schools um, or anywhere else, you can just figure that out through probably the school's website or just calling one of their admissions officers. And then also beware of the language proficiency tests. So if you're going to a country where the main language is probably not English, they're going to require most likely that you take a language proficiency test to study there because these classes should be taught in that language of the country. So you know, if you can't study that, you're going to have a hard time in the class. Cool. So the first thing we want to do is talk about how to apply to UK schools. In general, UK schools are a little bit different from the United States because they are less about general education, less about the liberal arts education, and much more about you getting a job afterwards. Um, so there's a lot of specification and there's there's an earlier specification period. So in the United States, many schools will let you choose your major in your sophomore year. But with all UK schools, you have to choose your major or in the UK, they call them course uh, or courses uh, when you're applying and you apply to that course and or you apply to that major. Very similar to a lot of state schools here in the United States. So if you're undecided about what you want to do with your college education, do not apply to a UK school because you will be stuck with whatever you apply into. And there's no undecided category. The advantage to that, though, is that there are more combined programs for undergraduate students, uh, including law school combined programs, which we don't see that often in the United States, as well as architecture combined programs. Uh, These are going to be a little bit more expensive, as we'll talk about later, but there are more of them in the UK than in the United States, just because of how professional-focused a UK education is. Now, as for applying to UK schools, um, it's similar to the United States because there's one application like the Common App. Uh, They call it the Universities and College Search Application. So this is, unlike the Common App, something you use for every single college in the UK. There is no separate Apply Texas for Scotland or Wales or England. This is the application you use for all parts of the UK, um, at least for now. You know, like if Scotland goes independent, then things get messed up. 
Um, but that makes it really easy for you as an American because you don't have to figure out all the different applications. Now, because it's a unified college application system, there are some limitations on what you can do. So in the United States, the Common App, you can apply to 20 schools and you can also apply to other schools via their own portals. In the UK, you have to pick only five to apply to. So that's one limitation of that universal application. Um, like the United States, the UK also has top schools. Uh, but instead of the Ivy League in the United States, they have Oxbridge. So that's just like the combined ship name or whatever of Cambridge and Oxford. So Cambridge was Oxford. Oxbridge, those are the two best schools in the UK. I don't think it's debatable. Like in the United States, we say, oh, there are a lot of schools that are on Ivy League tier, and I think that's true. UK, it's not really that. Those are the two best schools. End of story. Now, I think the most important difference or the most uh, important thing to think about if you're interested in applying to UK schools is testing, because testing for UK schools, and especially Cambridge and Oxford, can be a little bit tricky because they require additional tests that American schools don't. So the good thing is that most schools accept and require either the ACT or the SAT from Americans or international student, uh, international students. Uh, what's different is that UK schools have minimum standards. And so this is actually something that's done in most admissions processes around the world. China and Japan are other examples of where there are bare bone minimums. So Oxford, you need a 1470 on the SAT or a 32 on the ACT. And you also need fives in three or more AP classes or 700s or more in three or more subject tests. Those are the bare bone minimums. If you uh, don't have those, don't bother submitting your application. And so for Cambridge, it's five or more fives on APs, um, and they don't care about subject tests. Uh, they think subject tests are not equal to AP test. And for most UK schools, you have to disclose all your scores, even if you retook it another time and got a higher score. So I think there is a real advantage, actually, to having these minimums because we have implicit minimums here in the United States, like a kid with a 200 is not going to get into Harvard, regardless of how compelling every other piece of the package is. But the Harvard admissions officer doesn't say it, even though it's true. So I think there's a real advantage to having at least some standard test score. Um, what do you guys think? I think it's good. It definitely singles out the top tier students. I think that would knock out a large portion of students applying or planning on applying. So it definitely does, I think, bring down the um, you know people applying to school. And then also because they have these bare minimums, um, you know, a, a lot of people meet these at the you know Harvards of the U.S. But especially in the U.K., if everybody's meeting these bare minimums, it's going to come down a lot more to what you do outside of school and either your recommendations or whatever they require. So I think that it definitely helps bring a lot of the focus off of just test scores and more onto what you've been able to do with your time. Yeah, I would agree. And I also feel like even though in the U.S. there isn't a set minimum, I feel like they do it because there's it's such a diverse population. There's so many students coming from all these backgrounds, and everyone has their different circumstance or situation. So you, al you can't always just kind of reject them outright because of their test scores because it could have been for um, family reasons or their specific reasons that they, they didn't do well in the tests. So I guess this is different for the U.S. and the U.K. 
yeah, like, the UK is definitely more, like, too bad, this is what you need, and American schools are, I think, more understanding about these types of situations. Um, but there are also other types of standardized testings on top of the regular testing that you're already doing for American schools, and that's especially at Cambridge and Oxford, that there are special admissions tests for your specific major. So, for example, if you're applying to a legal studies type major or a combined law program, there is like the LSAT equivalent or the Law National Aptitude Test. If you want to do philosophy, politics, and economics at Oxford, you need to take TSA or the Thinking Skills Assessment. Um, And so every major or in the UK, every course has a different set of admissions tests that they need. So you have to look pretty carefully into what major you're interested in going into and just study for those admissions tests. Deadlines, um, the LSAT equivalent deadline of registration is October 5th, and other application tests need to be done by September 1st, and you can start October 15th. Uh, the biggest thing, though, is how you can take these tests, because they don't let you take it online or at home. So you have to travel to a registered testing center. And because the United States is such a big sender of students to the UK, there's a lot of testing centers here in the United States that have them. Um, there's at least one per state, so you might have to travel a little bit. It's not like the SAT is so common here, but you don't have to travel to the United Kingdom to take these types of tests. And we'll put a link in the show notes down below with the links to how you can register for those tests. Another difference is that the deadlines uh, for Cambridge and Oxford are earlier. They're due October 15th. And the reason why they're due earlier earlier is because those two, those two schools are the only two schools in the UK that require an interview. And that interview typically happens in December. All other schools, because they don't have an interview, have deadlines around the United States timeline, early January, um, to mid-January. Um, now, specifically on the interview, uh, now, ca- only Cambridge and Oxford have the interview, but the interview is very different from the United States interview. The United States interview is kind of like another, you know, who are you? Are you a sociable human being? Like, can you talk to an adult? Are you a sociopath? Like, those types of tests. And, you know, if you're a sociopath in your interview for a UK school, it's not going to look great, but it seems like the main focus of these interviews is academic focused. So you're going to be asked academic questions in these interviews. You know, if you're a math major, you might be asked to solve a math equation. If you're a social sciences major, you're going to be asked a question about your field of study rather than you as a person or why you're interested in the school. So that's a theme that carries in over to personal statements and recommendations because those also need to be more academic. Here in the United States, we say you want to show the personal side, you want to share a personal story that explains why you do the things that you do. Not the case in the United Kingdom. In the United Kingdom, it's about academics all the way. Your personal essay should explain, you know, maybe an academic achievement, why you're strong in an academic area, why you're so dedicated to doing well in academics. Your recommendation letters need to be academic as well. Not about leadership, not about you being a nice person, not about you staying after school to help the teacher clean up the classroom or whatever. It needs to be, you know, you're a great student. So that's a difference that you might want to communicate to your teachers who are writing your recommendation letters because they do need to be substantially different from the letters you're using to apply to American schools. Now, a very cool thing about UK schools is that rec letters in the UK 
uh, must be accessible to students. So when teachers submit them, students can also see them, which I think is pretty cool. Um, so that is one, I think, good difference, at least, about being more academic focused. So you've done all this stuff. You've applied to maybe like all these different UK schools. Uh, there's another difference. When acceptance days rolls around, you can get accepted or denied. And what's different is you can also get what's called a conditional acceptance. And so what that means is that you have to score, for example, a five on this AP to get in, or you have to do another qualification, bring up your GPA or whatever to get into the school. And so when I first saw that, I was very uneasy, you know, like a conditional acceptance, um, like I need to make commitments, what's going on? Uh, but just remember that if you meet the condition, it's a guaranteed admission. So hopefully the condition isn't that hard. Uh, I think it's a much better way of doing it than a wait list here, like, because that's that's the analog here in the United States is a wait list. And so in the UK, it's more, more firm. It's like, this is the part of application of your application that wasn't so great. If you improve it by the time March or whatever rolls around, you're in. Yeah. Whereas in the United States, it's just like, maybe you're in, maybe you're not. We'll let you know. We're not going to let you know how you can make your application do better. You're fine. Just wait. When do they let you know that you like get off the wait list or something like that? Uh, I'm not sure. And I think it, it depends for each school and for what the condition is. In general, it seems like UK application pro- the UK application process is just much more straightforward. Yeah. Unlike in the United States, where it's really foofy and like story, artsy, telling, narrative building, that type of thing. UK, it's about scores. It's about, and they, it's about scores, academics, and they're going to tell you if your academics are too bad. They're going to be straight up about it, unlike the United States. The last section, um, and one of the big concerns that a lot of people have with applying internationally is money. Because college in the United States must cost a lot, so colleges everywhere else must also cost a lot. Um, This is true because you are an American. If you were a UK citizen, tuition is actually very, very cheap. Tuition at Cambridge and Oxford is only about $9,000 for most undergraduate majors, or £9,000 at most undergraduate majors, which translates into about $11,000 every year. That's really, really good. Yeah. Now, that doesn't include housing and stuff like that. Um, And if you add in housing, then the average cost of a UK school is about... uh, 24k pounds or 30,000 US dollars, but that's still substantially cheaper than an American school. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, PSA, this is why these countries have higher taxes, because they use those taxes to subsidize college education so that their graduates aren't leaving with mountains and mountains of debt. So, PSA for people who don't like taxes. Um, And Oxford and Cambridge for an international student is going to cost about 46k or 46,000 US dollars. So, you know, cost a lot of money to go to a UK school if you're an international student because you didn't pay the taxes that got you the subsidized tuition. And the other problem is that there's little financial aid for international applicants. There are some scholarships, but most of those are partial scholarships for most schools. And these are also very highly selective ones as well. There are some grants from United States organizations, United States-based organizations, but again, those are really rare. So if you're applying to the UK, chances are you're going to be paying the full sticker cost to the college education. So beware, think about that as you're applying to college. But other than that, that's uh, all I had about applying to UK schools. All right, next we're going to go on up to Canada. 
Um, Canada. Well, East when I was researching Canada. this, oh yes. Um, at first, when I was researching it, I found it to be pretty difficult to find information about this. Um, you know, not as easy as a uh, you know a U.S. school would be. First of all, and from there, we just kind of prepared a few you know, facts for you, just like Michael did. So deadlines, um, they have two enrollment cycles. They have winter enrollment and then summer enrollment. Um, so the winter enrollment is going to be the 1st of September, which is a very early deadline. So if you're trying to do that, uh, you better get on top. You better have started. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but then summer enrollment is the 15th of January. And I think that is, you know, just normal, normal enrollment for uh, like what you would be doing in the U.S., so the 15th of January seems like the, uh, the normal one that I think, I believe that was the university of Toronto. So I believe it's the Canadian university system. Um, a lot of this is the university of Toronto. So the U S uh, world report system, I know they, I know it doesn't mean everything, but it does mean a little bit, um, as far as, you know, judging the value of internet of an international system. Um, they, ha- they do have a couple of good schools, but I found that they did kind of fall off, um, going down the list about five or six schools. So I'll link that down in the show notes below, but there is definitely a big drop off in the schools there, but there are a couple of good ones. So acceptance rates, uh, they're very high, uh, for, um, you know, compared to the U S schools and what we're used to, but it's, it seems like a, you know, just state schools because, you know, it is the university, just university of Toronto, just like university of Texas or a university of California system school. So University of Toronto has a uh, 30.1% acceptance rate, and then it says that one is much lower than the average for all engineering schools in Canada, which is 63.4%. So it does seem like acceptance rates are popping off in Canada. And then at the University of British Columbia, it's 52.4%. So high acceptance rates, you'll probably be going there. Um, And then as far as testing, this is where it gets really weird. So most of them don't really require the SAT or the ACT. Um, it's really, I don't even know what they're focused on. They're more focused on like school performance. Um, so I guess kind of like uh, the uh, UK, but not as much testing, but just the uh, academic in school portion of that. And then they very rarely require subject tests. And then stuff they're looking for, it's really hard to tell. I mean, I like I said, they're just looking for school performance um, in recommendation letters. Uh, if they do require them, they'll probably want you to talk about, you know, school performance and what you're doing in your classes. And then they'll want to see your transcripts and make sure that your GPA is good. They'll probably be looking a lot at that. And then also what classes you were taking. And then I would say AP test as well, if you're doing that. And as far as minimum admission requirements, um, they need a senior year or 12th grade accredited high school uh, diploma. And then they're going to ask for your GPA. And then if they do require the SAT or the ACT, they'll need those scores. And then it's pretty much up to the school to ask for what they need for, but that's what they'll need. And then just you know, your basic courses. So either pre-cal or uh, to some of the engineering schools, you probably need calculus and then possibly stats, but just your basic normal high school classes. As far as essays, recommendation letters, and activities, there's a lesser emphasis placed on your reference letters 
um, essays and extracurricular activities. So it does really look like um, most of them don't require them, but if they do, it's not going to be uh, there's not going to be as much focus placed on that. It re it's really just focused on what you're doing in your school life, um, much like the UK. And then cost, it's very cheap to go um, in country to a Canadian school. So that's about six thousand, eight thousand dollars um, in Canadian dollars. So it's even less in U.S. dollars if you're living in Canada. But then it skyrockets to like thirty thousand to fifty-five thousand Canadian dollars. So that's you know I don't really know the conversion rate, but I would say like you know twenty-five to forty thousand dollars probably. Um, and then we'll we'll all link this information down below. And then if you know if you have any experience with applying to any of the schools, make sure you drop that in the comment section below on the episode. And then as far as decisions, um, it, it kind of acts like a rolling decision round, um, except they're released kind of in like a chunk. So it looks like they release them when they get through with them instead of like holding it. So it'll generally be done in about uh, the February to April range if you're doing that normal uh, January 15th deadline. So yeah. All right, so we talked about UK schools and Canadian schools. So lastly, I'm going to talk a little bit about the joint degree programs that are available between the U.S. and a few international schools. So specifically, I'm going to be talking about the Yale and U.S., which is kind of the partnership between Yale and the National University of Singapore. Also, the one with between Columbia and Sciences Po in France. And then also NYU, which has a few international programs in um, a couple of different locations internationally. So first off is the Yale NUS. So you're probably thinking, oh, Yale, like here, you know, it's super competitive. And so actually in Singapore, there is a school called Yale NUS. And I actually found out it's is kind of affiliated with Yale, but not specifically. It's its own separate school, but I guess they do a few um, partnerships, students from Yale and U.S. can take some courses at Yale University here in the U.S. And basically, um, to apply, they take the same application, they take the Common App, and there are d different ways you can apply. You can apply using the Common App with the Yale and U.S. member page, or you can actually apply using the Common App with Yale University, or they have their own Yale and U.S. college application form. So you can find this on their website and kind of pick which application type will fit best for you. And so with them using the Common App, the requirements are basically the same. You'll have to have essays, teacher recommendations, um, and just basic stuff that you also fill out on the Common App. And there are two deadlines for their two application rounds. One is on January 15th and the other one is on March 20th. And of course, regarding costs, the cost to attend is um, pretty much comparable to the universities here, the more expensive universities here. So around $70,000 if you're an international student. Of course, if you were a Singapore citizen or a permanent resident, you would only be paying about $25,000. But as you can see, um, the trend here, if it would be much cheaper if you were a resident there, but you aren't. So they're still pretty expensive. And the acceptance rates... So what I've heard is actually some people have said getting into Yale and U.S. might be actually harder than getting into Yale University itself. 
The numbers say the acceptance rate is about 5%, so I guess that would make it more competitive. So it's definitely a very selective program that you would be spending. Just to jump in here, um, the 5% statistic, I don't know if you want to put too much weight on. And the reason why is because on the Common App for Yale, there's a little button where you can say, hey, I want my application also sent to Yale and US. And that's what I did. Because I was like, eh, you know, sure. Might as why, well. Why not? There, there's no heart, harm in it. But the Yale and US accepts it. And they count that as an additional person who's applying. So an additional number in the denominator. Mm-hmm. But there's no chance of me being accepted or being a number in the numerator. Because I didn't follow up. Like, I didn't actually want to go to Yale and US. So I wasn't going to do the research. And I'm, I wasn't going to write a why <laughs> Yale yeah. and US statement. And so the reason why the numbers are that way, I think is a lot of American applicants apply because the Yale portal gave them that nice little option, but they never actually applied. But the college still counted them in the total applicant pool, even though they had basically no chance of getting in. Yeah, that is a good point. A lot of these statistics that schools post, even with schools over here with all their acceptance rates and all that, you can just, you take you take it with a grain of salt. Of course, it's a competitive school. How competitive? It's really up to um, up to you to, to decide. And so if you decide to attend Yale NUS, the degree you would be getting would be from Yale NUS and not Yale University. As some people might think, you don't get a degree from each school. You get a degree from Yale NUS only. And then, so the next... Um, joint degree program is a little different from Yale and US and it's Columbia with Sciences Po and the difference is you would spend two years studying in each um, institution which is unlike Yale and US where you spend all four years in Singapore at their um, campus and basically what the Columbia with Sciences Po program is it's a dual BA program and you'll have a chance to study, as I mentioned before, two years in New York and two years in a small college in France. And the deadline to apply is January 2nd, which is pretty much similar to the other um, uh, common app um, deadlines that you would see here at U.S. schools. And they require pretty standard stuff. You have to submit an online application. You have to submit your transcripts. Um, you also have to submit your standardized test scores your essays, your letters of recommendations, and um, there's also an application fee of $80, which is pretty much comparable to how much it would cost for you to submit an application to one of the U.S. schools. And But the cost of attending is a little different, so you would pay the cost of the institution that you're attending. So if you're currently a student at Columbia here in New York City, then you would pay the cost of attending there. And then once you're in France, you would pay the cost of attending the college in France. So it's a little different from other joint degree programs. And then the last one I'm going to talk about is NYU. So New York University, they have actually 14, I guess, um, international or like global locations. But the main, the big two international joint degree programs that they have are with the NYU Abu Dhabi and um, NYU in Shanghai. So both of these applications, uh, both of these schools take the same application, the Common App. So as I mentioned, same essay requirements, transcript, standardized testing scores. And both of these programs are pretty competitive. 
uh, acceptance rate around four or five percent. But as we mentioned before, um, the numbers can not really be that accurate. And the costs are actually pretty expensive for NYU Abu Dhabi. It's around eighty thousand, and I assume for Shanghai would probably be about the same. But I've actually heard that NYU Abu Dhabi um, does often give a lot of scholarships. I know one of our、uh, seniors that just graduated will be attending NYU Abu Dhabi, and she got a pretty nice,、um, pretty much a full ride. And then they're going to give her a stipend and ex- expenses paid. So there are definitely options. For、um, financial assistance and scholarships that you should really look into, because these、um, George degree programs do want more U.S. students going over there to study internationally, and they're always looking to get more students. So make sure that you look into these. So that was just kind of a little insight on a few of the joint degree programs that are offered, and these are for the big name schools like Columbia. Yale,、um, NYU, but there are definitely、um, more small international programs that you can look into. And let us know if there are any specific schools that you would like us to cover. Okay, so those were the specific application processes for a few different types of international schools. Now we're going to talk, I think, more generally and kind of reflect on what we just talked about: whether we actually want to apply internationally or not. Whether it's just too much of a hassle, whether the finances just don't work out, whether the benefits actually make sense for us. So, I guess since you two are actually going to apply to colleges this year,、um, has doing this research has doing this research made you want to apply to somewhere international? All right, for me,、um, definitely not. I think <laughs>、um, so. As far as like just the extra hassle that you were talking about, it seems like. It would be not so much for something、um, like a, a Yale in US, but definitely for a UK school or for、um, what is it the the Canadian schools,、um, you know, having to take additional tests or worry about you know different deadlines. I think it'd be just too much. And then as far as expenses,、um, I think at least for me. My financial aid is going to be a lot better just staying in the U.S. for college rather than going out of the country.、Um, and even if I do get financially there, there's going to be a lot of travel expenses that I don't want to deal with.、Um, I'm not too, you know, worried about the travel. I think the more distance between me and here is better for college. But <laughs> I don't think I have to go halfway around the world. Yeah, because、uh, that'd be. Slightly annoying having to you know take thousand dollar plane flights and stuff all the time. You would earn a lot of frequent、time. flyer miles, like Michael, at the expense of、uh, thousands of dollars. Though <laughs> you could be a you could be a with a, a platinum member of American Airlines. How cool would that be? I could, I could, maybe we'll see. But I don't know. The one that does seem a little interesting would be the、uh, Columbia CCS Po、um, program. Because you know you do that dual、uh, thing with you know the Arch Columbia and then the、uh, the one in France, and I think that that one could be really interesting because it looks like it's very affiliated with Columbia itself, and you actually you know, work within that system. And then the other ones seem a little you know too far out there. I also don't know a lot of. I, I don't have any family internationally, so it doesn't make much sense for me to go somewhere. Uh, the people that I've known to go somewhere, for example, a senior laster from my school went to Yale in the U.S. and he went there、uh, because he's a Singapore citizen. 
So he has to go do military service, and that was the best option for him to go and continue school um, while doing that service because he'd have to take like two years of gap years. And a lot of schools in the U.S. will either not do that or it just didn't seem reasonable to delay college for two years. So, yeah. Plus, he's a citizen, so he gets it like much cheaper, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so. And then he probably also gets like a army discount yeah. benefit or something with that. GI Bill in Singapore. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I'm pretty much in the same boat as Dominic. I don't really find much interest with doing um, one of these international programs. I would like to study abroad, maybe for like a semester or a year, but I don't see much benefit in going internationally to study because I guess living in Vietnam and then here, I'm really not the super adventurous wanting to live in a completely foreign country kind of thing. But You had enough of that already. Yeah, but um, these programs do seem very interesting and a lot of people do apply if they're looking more to branch out, maybe see the world. And these programs would be perfect for you to do that. If you want to get away from your parents, like really away, then it's also an option for you. But I think for like cost and benefit wise, it's still as expensive. And then as Dominic said, I don't, I wouldn't really have family over there. So it'd be harder to go back for breaks and all that. And I just don't think, I think they're a lot of good colleges a lot of great colleges here in the U.S. that I feel like I wouldn't have to go outside of the country to pursue my education. But as I said, I would be willing to study abroad for like a semester. Yeah, for me, and I think almost undebatably, the, there's the best you know college university system in the the world in the U.S. Just as far as you know how many colleges there are and having the best colleges in the world here. I don't think there's a reason to, you know, go internationally unless you have a very, you know, extreme circumstance or, you you know, you have somebody there or you live there, came here or something. But as far as somebody who's never been there and has no reason to go there, I don't, I don't see the point in going international. I kind of take a, I kind of take a different viewpoint. Um, I don't. I was not given the choice to between like a really good international school and the choices I had. So maybe like I still would have chosen an American school. Maybe I still would have chosen Columbia, but I would have liked to think about that. And I would have liked that option. So I kind of regret not applying internationally, especially to um, Cambridge and Oxford, because those two have really well-known economics programs and um, they have really good you know, like connections, for lack of a better word, with the London School of Economics. What I will say is that even even if we say that, so like, number one, I want to apply because I wanted the option to make that choice because I could think of myself going to a UK school. Um, number two is also that you should think about the type of education you're receiving because the educations are going to be different, just like the education you're going to receive at a public schools generally going to be different than the education you're going to receive at a private school or a private liberal arts school or private Ivy League school or whatever. There's also differences between the education you're going to receive in the UK and the education you're going to receive in the US. And so like one of the differences that's very clear from the admissions process is that the UK is academics, academics, academics. It's very focused on the much more tangible things. Whereas I think sometimes U.S. schools, U.S. schools get caught up in 
like the foofy things like oh like are you eating does your school have a gluten-free option and it seems like the uk school is much more like intense about academics so maybe also think about the differences in the type of education you're getting between schools in the two different countries yeah like you should like go to good schools and try sorry I mean, the other reason why I would want to go to the UK is because, like, they have, there's some interesting stuff going on in the UK right now, and I think it'd be cool to be there. So maybe that's another reason why I, I'm so keen on international schools. Thank you so much for listening to this episode about international schools. Uh, we hope that you learned something. And then, like we said before in the episode, all the information we talk about will be in the show notes section below. That should be fun putting together, <laughs> but it'll, it'll be good to do that and then hopefully we can get a good discussion going in the comments section or maybe on the uh the reddit post that we'll have for this we generally have good discussions over there and we can link one of those down below so that you can join us on there and talk to us about it so thank you so much for listening make sure you check out the skillshare link bit.ly slash pod 2018 or the link at the top at emissionsuncovered.com again thank you so much for listening and we hope that you enjoyed the episode start to uncover 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 duh